Hi, and welcome to another episode of Health Points podcast with me, Pete Jenkins, and my colleague, Ben Wilkins. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here, too. Um, we are joined today by Oliver Korn. So Oliver is a professor for human-computer interaction at Offenburg University in Germany and director of the Effective and Cognitive Institute. Uh, he co-founded the software company Corian, where he continues his work there as a strategic advisor. Uh, his research areas are context-aware systems, assistive technology, uh, emotions in human-computer interaction, uh, and there's effective computing and in gaming too. Uh, and Oliver has an interest on user experience, especially on new forms of human-computer interaction like natural interaction and emotion recognition, where these environments can be enhanced even further by the implementation of game-like reward structures to create a flow experience, especially in work and learning context. There is a lot going on there, Oliver. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to unpacking that and uh, understanding more about it. But welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And, and thanks, Pete, uh, for having me. Really looking forward to that talk. Great. Yeah. It would be wonderful to jump straight in to understand a bit of your background uh, and how you ended up in the role of research and gamification. Well, I'm, I'm not a typical researcher. Actually, I was working in industry for more than 10 years before it. I co-founded this company called Corian. And uh, around the year 2003, we had this bizarre idea of making education more like a game. And at that time, words like gamification or even serious games uh, didn't exist. So we were totally new to, to everything. And um, I said bizarre because it's very difficult if, you're, if you come with something which is so new to the market uh, to actually get money out of that. Well, we sold quite a, a few of our uh, solutions to big companies like Siemens who really wanted to show that they were cutting edge, but we were probably like five to 10 years too early to the market with our company simulation, which we had. But this idea of um, gamifying things, education is of course one thing, but also sports has sort of always uh, driven me. It sort of goes back to my childhood and uh, my general idea that games is the way to go in, in, many, in many areas. So which sort of sports were you most into? When I was younger, I, I was into boxing which uh, is, of course, uh, very game-like. Yeah? You get immediate feedback. It's very quick. If you're not, um, you could compare it to Counter-Strike or something like eSports. So if you're, if you're not concentrated completely, you're out immediately. So you have to take all the problems, everything into a box and put it away because otherwise uh, you'll end up with, with some bruises. So, so that was what what drove me. But now I'm just I'm just going to the gym, uh, the usual stuff. If you're in your mid forties, uh, you don't want to get hurt too badly. I even skipped skiing and, and stuff like that. I like that. I've never really heard, heard boxing described as uh, fast feedback, but it's very true. <laughs> yeah. very, very immediate and very tactile feedback as well. Yeah, yeah. We had we just had a project on on tactile feedback. Uh, but that was for the deafblind community, so completely different area. And actually, our role was to gamify that tactile West, because learning how to to work with that tactile feedback is very 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 difficult. And if you're an, uh, a deafblind person, you have lots of issues uh, apart from learning um, how to work with a new device. So that was that was quite difficult because games are all about sound and vision. If you take this away and you just have this this uh, micro tactile stuff, that was really that was probably the most intense gamification project I ever had because all the eye candy and all the, the cool feedback noises, if you put all that away, it, it gets really difficult. Yeah, there aren't many games I can think of that do that. Maybe like Jenga is about as close as you could do that one just through feel. I've seen people play that way. Yeah, it's it's, it's simply because there are not that many deafblind people around. I mean, there are 300,000 in, in Germany and more than almost 3 million in the European Union. So that was a European project. But uh, of course, it, it, it's not a market by itself, the first split community. So it was an ideal thing for... Uh, for a European project, I think. 
Yeah, but that was just sort of one of the later additions to the to my gamification endeavors. Well, I'm dying to know why. What was the biggest issue with it, and how you overcame it with the tactile? Uh, well, I was actually approached by uh, the University of Boros, who came found me on the internet. If you, I guess, because I'm I've been publishing on gamification so much. I mean, you mentioned that article from 2017 on uh, the uh, gamification of rehabilitation, but I just, there's just a new article out from 2021, uh, gamification of movement exercises in re rehabilitation and prevention, a framework for smart training in AI-based exergames with a, with a colleague from uh, biomechanical engineering. So this is sort of going on all the time. And this is also why Boros probably approached me and they said, oh, we have something completely insane. Uh, with these deafblind people, do you think you can sort of gamify that? And uh, one of the things we did was like a, a little game where you sort of had to be like a, a spy. So you had to follow somebody, but you couldn't get too close because otherwise that person would uh, sort of detect you. And uh, you were completely steered by uh, vibrations in, uh, integrated in a vest all around your body. So it worked pretty well. That's really cool. So it sounds like um, to be, it was a story-based game, but you navigated it through the tactile feedback. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the story is just like sort of the, the framework story because I think it, it helps if you have this framework story and then the game itself, uh, there have to be these, these mechanisms which just have to work. And often these mechanisms are quite simple. I mean, if you, if you look at games like Counter-Strike, or even borderlands or whatever typically it's uh, kill everything you you see or kill 95 percent of what you see only not your friends and uh, around that you have a cool story maybe cool characters evolving uh, but the, the actual sort of mechanics of, of many games are quite trivial in some way it's the same with with gamification isn't it uh, I, I had an article uh, together with a, with a friend of mine on, on gamification methods. And we, it's always the same as points, there's uh, achievements, there are these leaderboards where you try not to, to show everybody so nobody can feel ashamed that he's on, on the last end of the leaderboard. And things like combos, maybe extra lives or something you can get, but it's, it's all rather simple. I think it, it's a, a game doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs to work. And if you have fun, um, that's sort of enough proof. Often when I look at gamification projects, I think, well, it's, it sounds all very academic, but it doesn't sound like uh, people actually will have fun playing that game. I, th I mean, that's a really good point, particularly in the academic world, because quite often you're just testing like one game mechanic rather than a whole game. So yeah. I guess my first question about that is, what sort of reactions did you get from the players? Were they having fun? What did they tell you about this? Um, if you now think about this, the deafblind people, for them it was, it was uh, completely new uh, because most of them had stopped playing games for obvious reasons. I mean, even something like chess, where you could sort of imagine the whole board in your head, but only if you're very well trained. Otherwise, you sort of, you would have to touch the chess board all the time to uh, to see what, what figure is standing there. So they play these simple games with their hands, um, but um, nothing, nothing more sophisticated anymore. And for them, it was a new experience. And we had, uh, um, statements like, finally, I can play uh, with my children again. But it was uh, positive. But on the other hand, it, it, it's not difficult. It's like if you, if you give a starving person a piece of old pizza, uh, they'll happily tell you uh, it's the best food they ever had. I mean, games are so much, um, and they can be so much. And these people are really... Uh, um, they have lost so much, and and but we really sort of try to make the best out of it because this is this is what we do. I mean, if you look at rehabilitation, if you had a stroke, 
um, it's little use in, in, in telling everyone, but 20 years ago, you could run 100 meters in 12 seconds. Uh, you just have to live with, with what you have now and, and sort of deal with it and yeah, and try to come back to your previous functionality, which often doesn't work anyways, which is why, in my opinion, gamification is so important in, in, in these areas, because the deafblind community may be large in Europe, but if you look at 700,000 people are breaking their hip in Germany or have uh, accidents from falling in Germany every year, 700,000 only in Germany. And often if you are 70 or 80, that can be the start of a downward uh, movement, which finally ends in uh, some nursing home or even death. And uh, many of them do not regain the full functionality because the exercises are tedious and boring and you have to do the same thing over and over again. And I think gamification is, um, is the way to go because in games, you're, as we just said, you're doing the same thing over and over again, kill everything that moves and, and it's fun. I was writing an article pretty much on the similar stats, uh, but for UK stats, um, which is about half a million end up in accident emergency from falls fractures every year in the UK. So it's not quite the same number as uh, Germany, but not terribly far off. But I, I agree, uh, Oliver, one of the biggest challenges yeah. is that we know that exercise is one of the best clinical interventions to prevent through sarcopenia and uh, avoidance of sarcopenia, better balance and coordination. It's not the only factor. There's loads of other factors, such as layout of uh, environments, lighting and things like that, eyesight. But in terms of recovery from false fractures, uh, exercise and rehab is a critical part of it. And you're right, uh, it's for over 65s, and the, a false fracture is the leading cause of accidental mortality, loss of life. Yeah for that age group uh, is a huge challenge. I do want to jump into that. I want to go deeper because I want to talk more about your research in the role of gamification for rehab. But before we do, I'm still curious. For the DeafBlind Gamification Project, what were you working to achieve through it? Was it just to, if it was possible? Was it to create ways of having social interaction between DeafBlind pe people and others or their family who weren't? And um, what was the ambition for the project? Um, actually, our work package was called uh, Gamification and Social Inclusion. Uh, and we're looking at what is joy? How, how does joy constitute itself? And well, there are quite a few models for that. And of course, we could not, we could not uh, sort of redesign the whole project. Uh, we were just sort of one work package. But it was clear from the start that it would be some kind of interactive garment. Uh, like this vest, which people had. And we we went into, for gaming, it would have been interesting. We went into other forms of interaction, like thermal interaction. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody you love enters the room and it would become warm at your heart and you would immediately know, ah, my, my boyfriend is entering the room or whatever. And But the problem with heat is, it's, it's difficult uh, to get it away. Right? It takes time. Uh, you cannot, if, if when somebody enters who you, you don't like at all, first this thing has to uh, cool down and then it can get cold. So it was just the frequency of interaction is very slow with uh, temperature. And also smell could be a thing, which we also explored, but in the end, we. We just said, okay, everything is too far into basic research and we want to get this garment on the ground so people can actually use it. So it was sort of uh, the way we went. And then we just, we did lots and lots of interviews with people from the deafblind community, exploring their idea of what fun was and what they would like uh, to have. Um, and it, it wasn't so much about um, I want to navigate through the city. That's, for, for them, that's, that's too much. It was really like little games and the ability to enter a room and uh, grab a cup of coffee. Uh, so it was one thing was uh, object recognition. And of course, if you come to object recognition, you can easily use that for games, uh, like pick the right object. And especially the interaction with the vest has to be learned. And uh, after we completed the vest, we also uh, developed something which is called a tactile board, which is like um, a thing you have integrated in the vest and which draws lines on your back. 
Astrid Kapos, uh, a colleague of mine from the Netherlands, she was sort of determining how far these points had to be from apart from each other and how many would be a good idea. You can you can try this uh, at home with your boyfriend or your girlfriend if, touching you on the back and see when you can uh, decide if it's two fingers or one finger. So it, it can't be uh, too far apart but, and it can't be too complex, but we, we had a grid of 4.4. Uh, and with this grid, we sort of had basic em emoticons uh, and, and basic things like, uh, somebody enters and I'm feeling fine. And this, for that, you had to sort of learn an, an, an alphabet or an, an own semantic. And this was also done in a playful way. Yeah. First of all, it sounds like a really good safe activity because you're both facing in the same direction. So there's no face-to-face -face interaction going on. Great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try that one later. Uh, maybe not of a stranger, but someone I know. One of the, the statement that I really enjoyed that you said was asking people who were deaf and blind, what was fun to them? Um, yeah. And I think so often it's too easy to go into the academics of, oh, what's the most critical game mechanic to implement for these player types? Right. But just going to ask people, what is fun and what do you enjoy to explore and understand that is a critical part of creating games because just looking at game mechanics and trying to distill them down to these reductionist concepts doesn't necessarily yeah. result in a great gameful experience, but understanding what fun is and trying to replicate that is a really powerful yeah. one. Do you follow that principle of co-designing, asking people what is fun for them in all of your project, or, or was this unique to this one? I tried, I mean, user-centered design is a paradigm in human-computer interaction. It's called human-computer interaction, and so human comes first. and. Uh, this always was the case, even 20 years ago when we didn't have these uh, right words for that. Uh, it was going from usability to user experience. That, that was always uh, um, the direction. But of course, the, the, the further apart the user is from you and from your background, the more necessary it is uh, to make these kind of uh, co-design and, and to really get into users. Actually, I, although I, I have done lots of projects for uh, people without impairments, I did quite a few projects for people with impairment. And one was, for example, the people who were trying to be reintegrated in the first labor market. So they had some kind of impairment. They were in a special sheltered workplace institution where you work, but you are sheltered and you have uh, special employees who know about your impairment and you help you in special way and they should be reintegrated. And for them, we built like a, a coach. It was called Gregor, a little mouse. And we asked the people who were caring for them, the caretakers, what should this coach look like? And everybody said, it should be a human. And when we asked these uh, people, nobody said that it should look like a human. We had animal, human, or robot. And uh, it was clear that it had to be an animal. And when I had a, a draw in my team, a guy Who's, who studied fine arts, and he draw like 20 different characters. And then together with these uh, guys, we selected the character they liked most. And this shows that it is important, especially if you work with these uh, people with a different background. The, the new terminus technicus would be neurodivergent. Then you, you really have to ask them, what do you like? Do you like the mouse better? Do you like the fat mouse? or the slim mouse. And they all said, we don't want to get bossed around uh, by humans. And if, if somebody tells me that I made a mistake, it'd rather be a, a nice mouse. And it was, this was completely understandable for me. And uh, I was gonna say, I now we if, have this character. I wonder if the uh, Microsoft paperclip would have been uh, as infamous if it was uh, a small human being that was asking you to uh, have you tried a different font size or have you tried right aligning? Yeah, yeah. The fact you don't feel judged because it's not a human character, I think is really important. Um, we've had similar conversation in the expectations of what should an exercise instruction look like and people having yeah. preference for animations over videos of actual humans doing exercise 
exercise because it felt they weren't comparing themselves to an actual human being, which made it most a much more judgment-free environment. Um, so uh-huh. I can completely understand the idea of having a coach who's an animal because there's no comparison to those emotions we attribute to a human, yep. even if it's animated. Um, really interesting example. Really, I can completely understand that. I just read an article about personal trainers and how they interact with their customers. And sometimes I think, well, you, you really have to be into that. You have like, a, you need a, some kind of masochistic personality trait, because if they tell me, well, you need to lose like 10 kilos or something, it's, it's, it's such a big thing and you have to completely rearrange the whole way uh, you eat and everything. That's very, very big. And it's a very major intrusion. And maybe this works on a, on a personal level, like if you like each other. And I mean, there are these boot camps where you actually pay money to get bossed around. But I think with, with virtual agents and with digital interactions, it has to be more smooth and, and more considerate and friendly because it's so easy just to say, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want to play that. Uh, I, I'll play something else. Uh, look at look at one of the most successful sport-like games, Beat Saber for for the Quest uh, Two, for example. And there, there are no people dancing in front of you, showing how this is this would be how a perfect run would look like. So you you constantly feel like an idiot who is not up to the task. I think this is this is the way to go, uh, picking the people up where they come from and, and sort of slowly, well empower them that's i think that's the right expression i think that's really good because one of the things that games do so well is they they give you a safe place to fail yeah so yep. we can learn or play or and it, that's one of the reasons why it feels like play play is Definitely. generally failing a lot and, and i like this, but this idea of taking away the real people to judge the people who are judging you and replacing them with something that's with obviously not i think it's different than with real games, because in real games, you accept this failure. You accept that Ben is sort of better than you in Fortnite or whatever. Yeah, and you say, okay, if we play Fortnite together, you'll probably win. But if you have a gamification system, I think it, it needs to be more soft on you. Uh, negative feedback is not well appreciated. Um, yeah, look at how Fitbit is, is is doing the the comparisons it's it's only the steps we're not talking about active minutes we're not comparing your sleep cycles all the all the data would be there but we're not doing it and i think we're not doing it because we don't want people to sort of uh, have this idea of constant failure i'm sleeping not as good as you i'm i'm don't have as many active minutes as you do so if you're bad in one area, like the number of steps per day, you're probably also bad in, in, in several others. So yeah, you have to be careful with the negative feedback. Uh, there's a cool article on implementing gamification in call centers, which is called Don't Whip Me With Your Games. And I think this is, uh, this is sort of the essence. I always think, how can we gamif- make gamification in a way that it's not considered a whip it has to be considered, uh, yeah, maybe maybe a carrot, which is in, in front of you, but, n- but not a whip, which is behind you. So what would you say is the most effective carrot that you've used? Well, I think it completely depends on, on the user group, but it's still, um, in one project, I was surprised that the elderly were all in for the trophies and the achievements. At, uh, I was I was asking one guy and he told me, well, look, Oliver, I had a very cool uh, business life, but wait, 10 years gone. And now not much is happening anymore. So having these trophies and having these achievements and collecting these points for, for them, for the elderly, was, was really a cool thing. It was like with the youngsters who do not have these... Um, daily success things which we have as adults in our in our work typically even if you fail half of the time which this means you have 50 percent positive um, experiences and you get lots of positive feedback and, and just look at the u.s culture for example whereas in, in school you constantly get this negative feedback and 
Um, so I think that for in, in some way, young people and old people are very much alike. They need these virtual trophies and this positive feedback, uh, very, very permanent. Whereas I think with people in our age, starting with 20s to mid 60s, um, it needs to be more complicated. It needs to suit your your personality, your personal background. Um, I think one one size fits all would be would be difficult. So the carrot needs to needs to match the the user group. Yeah, we were discussing that on a, a previous episode. Actually, it was a, bit, a moment we were talking about the next stage for gamification and health is rather than singular games with singular game mechanics, it's ones which can adapt and personalize based on that personality or that player type. Um, so that's yeah. one rehab exercise gamification activity. It will keep changing and adapting based on that. Um, I completely agree with you. I would love now to You've published a lot of papers, um, Oliver. A lot of it's been around exercise and rehabilitation as well. What is the solution? What is the uh, panacea and the silver bullet for gamification and rehab? What have you learned in your journey? If I would have to, to say it in, in one sentence, I would say something like, keep it simple. Uh, don't don't like to, don't try to reinvest, re reinvent the wheel. Um, I was, there is, there, there is a cool, simple, rehabilitation system which just uh, uses tetris and you're you're sort of steering steering the little platform uh, and the ball is moving and of course it's all very restricted but still sort of um, everybody immediately gets no it's it's not tetris it's it's arcanoid actually where you where you um, where you move this platform everybody sort of knows this game and it's or like Pong, Pong was the, was the ancestor of, of all these games. Everybody um, gets the principle and it's simple and you can play these simple board games forever. Uh, nobody's ever getting bored of Tetris. It's really just, you, you live in the moment and nobody's ever bored of, of Pong or even if you if you play tennis, I mean, you're, you're playing that ball over the net over and over again, it's just, um, the game develops uh, in it out of itself in these little moments. Um, so I would really sort of go for having a simple game loop which can easily yeah, stand repetition. That is very important. Now, it's it's difficult if you're telling a story because a story should have a beginning, a middle part maybe some kind of disaster or setback and then it should come to to closure but if you think of rehabilitation which takes maybe months how many stories do you want to tell uh, and if it's just one story how slowly do you want to progress through that story so um, i would be very careful with stories and yeah keeping keeping things simple uh, take and easy game loops and lots of user-centered uh, testing to sort of optimize that little game loop. I think that's that's the way to go for these kind of uh, gamification. It's completely different if you look at uh, sort of more social apps like Fitbit. Um, they have this, this larger social background. But if you're really, if you're really sitting in this rehabilitation center and know, okay, the next one hour I have to do movement exercise for my knee or for my hip, it's really keeping it simple. Really reflects how gaming has switched and how games have changed moving from PC and console to much more mobile platforms. Whereas mobile games now are more about short-term engagement, five or 10 minutes, but lots of repeated engagement over days, months, and years. Candy Crush, yep. Birds, very similar game mechanics, slightly different, but there's no exactly. real narrative of storying there. Um, you're not going on a huge, massive quest for a, an RPG. Mm -hmm. And you're right, a lot of rehab is actually about small incremental times uh, dedicated to an activity, which is lots of 
repeated yeah. movements to build up strength for endurance or flexibility of whatever you're trying to achieve and for that to happen daily or weekly over days months and years so i've never thought of it in that way before but that makes complete sense why having simple games that have repetitive actions like mobile games do because you're trying to elicit a similar behavior as mobile games do in the average mobile gamer one of the things I would add to that is what I liked about what you're saying is one of the ways I've thought about this is often a game is a simple little skill or activity, whether it's just jumping in Mario yeah. or something. And what, what you're saying is basically it's the one skill, but the playthrough is different every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when you've got a social element that automatically adds a different playthrough because you're playing someone different and they play differently. That's why tennis, that ball back and forth across the net is yeah. always going to be played is fun. Same with Pong, if you're playing against someone else. Yeah. And I look at what Peloton is doing, for example. I mean, it's just everybody's sitting on a stupid bike and they're not even moving. But the thing is, we're sort of we're in with together. Uh, there's the trainer. Maybe a friend of you is doing the same exercise at the same time and you can compare each other. I think this has to... This has to be intensified also in, in regular gym activities. Uh, it would be cool if you could sort of run together with a friend, even if you are in different locations and you could talk to each other like we are doing now. Why is there not like a, a communication thing integrated? And you could sort of, you could select a track together, like running through the golden, over the Golden Gate Bridge or something. And you could, could talk like you would actually do when you were running together. But the cool thing is that, for example, even Ben and I could run together, and I'm a very slow runner, uh, and Ben is probably not, being a few years younger than I am. But this way, we could actually run together and have a chat, which in practice would probably bore you to death uh, because you had to slow down all the time or walk in, in circles around me. Um, so I think there's, there's lots of potential for the social interaction. And like you, like you said, with the mobile games, if you look, for example, at Clash of Clans, where also everything is very incremental and you're doing the same thing for years and years. I actually started a clan like five or six years ago and everybody's sort of still doing it and is still doing the same thing. And uh, you just need to have lots of little achievements like, ah, you're the best, uh, this was the best you did uh, in, in, in the last week or uh, you, you never did that exercise so fast. I think you can generate uh, lots of little uh, success moments simply out of statistics. Yeah? Because if you, if, you have a good, if, if you have a bad week, suddenly in the next week, uh, you'll get all the positive feedback if you just compare this week and last week. Um, I think it's, there are lots of possibilities to sort of get these motivating moments. I think that's a really interesting point. <clears throat> I quite often think about this when it comes to leaderboards as well, is not thinking of one leaderboard, but how many different versions can you have? Like, yeah. it, is it split by day, week, month, year? Is it split by geographical region? Is it split by people of the same age and weight? And if you do yeah. enough of these splits from the same data, you should be able to highlight the, you know, the one where you are doing well today, or you've done a bit better than everyone else, or you've done better than yourself. Yeah. You had three bad days last week, but this is better than the three other days. So yeah. How much effort do you put into this? Last year would be cool to, uh, to have these, um, to, to use this data and, and, and make more out of it. And I think that this is, if I would uh, advise Google on how they would, should, uh, what, what they should do with Fitbit, say, okay, you, you need to make more use of that data and also um, use it to generate little events. Like if you, if you are linked uh, with a person, you could say, look, uh, Pete and Ben last year in this week, you had like 100,000 steps, each of you. And now Ben has 50,000 and Pete has 40,000. Let's see who makes it to 100,000 steps first. And that would be like a cool little challenge just for the two of you. And you could say, okay, I accept that challenge or no, I, I don't. But generating little things like that uh, would, would be very cool. Uh, I, at least, I would like it. 
Uh, what I'm thinking of is a get, one of my favorite mobile games is one called uh, Balloons Tower Defense, which is essentially you're trying to stop some balloons going through a maze and you build towers to destroy them. Um, that's my little kind of mobile gaming vice. But every other week I'll get an award. And you're right, it doesn't always compare me to other people, but me to my previous performance. And that's why I keep getting awards and bonuses. And that's what really motivates me. I'm going off now thinking and making notes. How do we do that for people over 50 doing rehab? Um, Pete, yeah. go well, so, so that leads me to my question. Yeah. Right? So as we get older, do we necessarily want, like, do I want my personal best to be compared to when I was younger and fitter? Mm. How do I do that? And how, I mean, with rehab, it kind of makes sense because hopefully you are getting better. But also you've got to factor in the fact that maybe you're getting older at the same time. How do we represent that? Do you do that yet? What do we think? Well, um, I would be careful with that. I mean, death and, and illness and getting old and, and losing fitness, this is still uh, an area of many taboos. Yeah? Like if you, if you speak to elderly people, we will not say things like I'm impaired. Although if you look at the definition of impairment, um, they all are because like getting old is like a slow decline of functionality. And uh, on the other hand, uh, where all these little impairments are starting to get you. Your eyesight is getting worse. Your ear, uh, your ears are getting worse. Everything is getting worse. And of course, you know that. But you always say, well, I'm doing fine compared to compare yourself with somebody of your age. I think this is sort of this is sort of a trick. Um, in gamification, you need success to keep you going. Um, I'm, fighting against the inevitable i don't think that this is a this is a struggle i mean some people some people are quite uh, successful with that 70 years old people who are still uh, able to run a marathon or something and really showing to themselves and to the world that they can do it but um, this is this is really the exception i think gamification is uh, for for the mass for for the big public. Uh, if you look at the, the high performers, well, they don't really need gamification. Uh, they, are, they are motivated by themselves. They're motivated if they look in the, in the mirror, they see their abs, uh, if they see a well-trained body and oh, I'm, I'm looking good and I will, will be looking even better soon and I'm working hard to, to achieve that. Uh, but it's, it's more like getting the people to do something who are doing not much, or this elderly person who had, who finally had uh, his or her hip broken and maybe didn't do sports for 10 years before that. And getting these people back on track, I think here gamification uh, uh, can really help. And uh, I also looked at uh, gamification in work uh, areas. That can also be a, a good application because in work, you also you sort of you can't um, you can't change the situation. It's like with rehabilitation. You have your hip break, and either you do the rehabilitation and get reget functionality, or you're sort of a loser. And in in work situations, if you're working in an assembly line, you can say, "Oh, this is boring. I, I don't want to do this." It's part of your work, and now you have to do you know, have to assemble these two thousand parts. Uh, for the next two weeks, and it will be the same each and every time. And if you gamify this and say like, oh, this is the, fa the fastest you ever assembled with today, and you're even a 10% faster than yesterday, these are little little achievements, which make uh, just make it a little more fun. I think it's it's important to to always consider that gamification should not compete against games. Gamification competes against the same activities without fun whatsoever. Uh, standing there at an assembly line and waiting until finally your work time is over versus standing there and having a little bit of positive feedback and some visualization and little uh, gamification elements. I think that's, that's an improvement. You can compare that to playing Fortnite. It's, it's, it's not fair. And, and this is also what I tell my students. Be careful if you go into gamification, because if you love games, uh, gamification might sort of kill that. Because uh, 
this paper I had with uh, Stefan uh, Tietz for uh, in 2017, we had uh, this interview with uh, the lead of a clinic and he said, games can actually also be dangerous because if somebody in rehabilitation loses him or herself in the game, this can lead to additional damage. So they can, they can hurt themselves. So what do you do? As a gamification designer, you need to actively not make your gamification too cool, too engaging, you have, because you have to be careful. Uh, if you see that somebody is moving the leg too quickly and they might damage uh, their knee again, you have to uh, make the ball slower in your pong game. And the person maybe says, ah, oh, it's, it's getting boring. I was really like getting in a flow and I had fun and now the ball is all slowing down. Oh, that's, that's not cool. And this is right, it, it, it's not cool because it's not a game. It's still a rehabilitation exercise. Um, and this is sort of a, a big problem with gamification. I think that's really interesting, but I also think you, with a bit of thought, you can turn that feedback, like the ball slowing down, into something that fits the narrative and why they have that skill yeah. that they're building up, rather than make it boring. Yeah, you could, of course, do something like, uh, and suddenly the thing explodes, and ah, now you're in the next level, and the ball gets larger, and this is why it moves slower. I think from from game design, you sort of you can come up with clever solutions. Yeah. What's the best example you've seen out there for rehab and exercise, which may be as simple as just Fitbit's uh, leaderboard for step counts, um, but have you seen any that you really rate or really back as, as a game mechanic or a principle of applying gamification for rehab and exercise in your research to date? I was like, I like this, uh, this Gabarello uh, thing, which uh, the University of Zurich did for the Lokomat. Lokomat is this uh, thing where you probably know it, Ben, where you have uh, this like uh, a belt where you move on and you're completely in some kind of almost an exoskeleton and you're very, uh, you have very little freedom and you have to walk where for quite some time. And it was just like you were in, in they, they, they used Unity to have a like a planet. Um, the, the surface of a planet and you're walking on it and you're seeing all kinds of little little things popping up little aliens and plants and it's really getting like a spacewalk and I, I think this is this was extremely clever because you're working like an idiot in this thing you're not walking like you would normally do and you feel a little bit ashamed or you sometimes you somehow think I'm, I'm not walking like I should but by making it like you're in, in space like you're in a space suit in a space suit you would also walk like an idiot if you look at the video of astronauts in these huge things you, you can't walk like you, you, you walk in the park um, so making a something uh, of a taking something which is a deficit and making it a benefit. I think that, that is very clever. That is a good example of what gamification can do, recontextualize things. It'd be great to know as well, do you have any favorite games, uh, whether that's from childhood, the ones you still play now, um, but whether there's a board game, a sport, a video game, do you have any favorite games yourself? And are there certain mechanics that you've taken from that and your learnings and what you've enjoyed and applied that to your daily work and research? Well, I'm, I'm actually teaching game design at my university. Uh, and may, maybe just to identify the, the people who, who know something about programming and uh, who are creative, whom I can then later use in my research projects. But uh, I try and, and, and be an active gamer. I play games a lot. And right now, for example, I'm, I'm playing Oxygen Not Included, which is a, a fun little indie game where you, you build your uh, space station um, in some kind of asteroid and have to keep everything going and keep it sustainable. So this would, would be like a, a strategy game. Very cool in 2D, 
Um, but I'm also playing stuff like uh, Red Dead Redemption, which is the complete opposite, or Metro 20, 30, 30, or I, I completed Cyberpunk over uh, Christmas. So I'm really, I'm playing lots of games and I really, sometimes I'm telling my girlfriend, okay, when, when I was playing Cyberpunk, I said, okay, now I have Cyberpunk. It's uh, December, I have my teaching obligations all gone. For the next five days, I'll be playing Cyberpunk. I will eat and sleep and play Cyberpunk and that's it. And don't surely, expect me surely to you can justify much as part, of, part of your work anyway. This is just working time. You're still, you're still I, I have to do it for work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you have to feed that little child inside of you frequently. And to, you have to make uh, like like you need these playgrounds, and you really need to say, okay, this today I'm playing for five hours or something. And it's uh, I think it's completely legit if you do not neglect uh, other things. And in my case, it's really um, I mean I can I can talk on an eye to eye level with all my students, because if we talk about Fortnite, I played that. Uh, I sort of, I know all the games. Sometimes I play them, sometimes I find them boring. For example, Fortnite, I don't find very, very tempting. Um, I think there are better multiplayer games out there, um, but still, I, I at least know what's happening there. And sometimes you see these little ideas where you think, okay, this is something I can use for my research, or this is something where we can actually, where we can draw from. Final question for you, Oliver, is where do you see the future of health and gamification going? Where do you think uh, we're going to be led in the next five or 10 years? Well, one uh, thing which is definitely growing a lot is VR. I have a few students, uh, master students, looking into that area. It's, it's very interesting. You now have uh, lots of uh, yoga classes and even like little clubs where people sleep together. They actually sleep together in cyberspace. I'm quite uh, surprised by that, but it's like, so you see that there's a, there's a lot of momentum there. People like doing things in cyberspace. So that, that will be interesting for sports. I'm, I'm quite sure. If we have the right devices, uh, if we would have almost no latency and you, Ben, and I, we could just use actual tennis equipment and play tennis against each other, maybe at some beach in California, just having using our quests uh, and and do that. I think that would that would be cool, uh, doing sports together with these devices. And the same goes for gamification. Uh, I would expect that things would also develop in the gamification area. I mean. The Quest 2 would be ideal um, also for, for rehabilitation exercises because you have you have a camera, you could um, also create a video, you could uh, use a trainer, you could have guided feedback without going to that stupid rehabilitation center which looks not cool and smells not cool. And, and the problem is always going from motivating people to actually do something at home. And if I would have my rehab, my therapist telling me, okay, Oliver, uh, we'll meet at six o'clock in the VR room and we do these exercises together and I see how your knee is doing, what would be completely diff different to, we'll see each other in a week and don't forget to do your exercises. Um, doesn't work that way. So that is a big thing. And the other thing will of course be the evolvement of uh, our mobile devices uh, and the software on it. I hope that uh, Google will do cool things with Fitbit, uh, the, the things we talked about. And I think that uh, the ubiquitous nature of um, health apps, this is a one-way street. It will not go back. Uh, my girlfriend always liked to wear her, her little gold watch she got from her grandma and she really loved it. And I was always, telling her, this is my Fitbit. And well, at some point she bought one and now she's she's in Munich and she lost her cable and she, uh, for her charging cable and she bought one so that she doesn't lose the steps and the things she's doing. So it's really like, if you go down that road, you, you keep on it because it's so cool and you like these comparisons and you like this transparency and 
I think this is this is the way the whole society is developing. We like this not only mindfulness, but also the awareness of the body. I think this go hand in hand. I want to know how many hours I slept. I want to know if I need to go to bed early. I want to know how much impact these three glasses of red wine actually had on my pulse. It's so cool that we now have these, these uh, possibilities and I think that this will evolve much further. I mean, if you look at the new Fitbit, we didn't talk about the effective area of my research, the emotion recognition, the whole um, this whole area of, of determining how some how, how somebody feels. But if you look at the new Fitbit, it has a galvanic skin response sensor. And this way it can detect stress by the electrodermal activity. And I think that this will also be something. Imagine your watch. I'm, I remember several moments in my life, for example, before I did a car accident, where I was completely stressed out. And if my watch would have vibrated and told me, Oliver, be careful, you're in a very critical state right now. Your heart rate is very high. Uh, your, your GSR signals are out of bounds. Uh, whatever you're doing, stop it. Uh, take a break, take a breath, um, drink a cup of coffee, make a walk. I, I think uh, bad things could have been prevented. And um, I think that this sort of like cool interventions, which uh, really respond to our mental and our physical health, maybe in a playful way, that, that will be the future. Incredible. <laughs> kind of walk through what is, what could be, where we're going. And we're going to have to get you back to talk more about your research around emotions too, because um, there are loads of questions I still have to uh, ask you and that I'd love answered. But uh, given the time that we've used up so far, we need to call it to a close. Uh, but I wanted to yeah. say a huge thank you, Oliver, for today's session. And we will, without a doubt, be inviting you back for a second session focusing on emotions in the future. I'm going to second that. It's been a really interesting session. And I'm looking forward to playing you at tennis and VR, but you're represented by an avatar of a mouse. So I don't feel too <laughs> bad when you beat me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's been a real a real privilege. Like I said in the start, it's, it's really cool to talk to people who are really that deep into this into this topic, uh, because it's still it's still an expert topic. If I ask my students uh, who knows what gamification is, it's like maybe it has something to do with games. And I think everybody knows what gamification is, but that's, that's sort of our bubble in, in, in which we live. And we all, if I, if I ask them who has a smartwatch or who has eye health, it's like 80% raised their hands, but we don't know that these are all using gamification. Uh, so I think we, this awareness, if this awareness is there, um, we will also get more cool or more more applications and some of them will be cool. And I think this is exactly why we are doing this. Uh, formats like this help to sort of spread the word and spread the ideas. Wow.